Good morning. Are we well today? We're excited to be together today. Yeah, said like people in a library. It's good. No, <laughs> it is a good thing to be in church. I'm, I'm excited to be in here. It's nice to be with you and to, to spend some time opening up scripture and having a look at what God's saying. I've been excited to go through this Elijah series. Elijah's one of those people in Scripture, there is so much about them and some of it gets gets shelved as, as pure mythology because it feels like it can't be real. It feels like it's just too much. That's got to be a story. But it's so not. What we read about is, is, is inscribed in the living Word of God. It has been inspired by the Lord Himself and written down by His diligent people. And in, in, this, in these passages in these chapters in this in this book we find so much to unpack about a very very different and very amazing guy and see one of the things that I love about I love about the Bible is that it's not afraid of truth and that it's like gyre it's the Bible of course it's not afraid of truth but sometimes we're a little bit afraid of truth and we read in scripture absolute truth And sometimes it's a sordid truth about our heroes. Abraham was a liar. Jacob was a thief. Moses had a murderous temper. King David was an adulterer. Heroes of faith, though, every one of them. But the Bible refuses to gloss over their shortcomings. The Bible refuses just to put them on a pedestal, but instead the Bible reveals that these people, as heroes that they are, are still human. It shows them warts and all. And today we find another wart in our lesson from Kings, from one of the greatest prophets as we continue on looking at Elijah. See, the situation that the people of Israel find themselves in at the time of Elijah was untenable. So God sends the prophet Elijah to call out King Ahab and lead the people towards righteousness. And Elijah goes to work and develops a reputation in fact, the very first time when we read back through the beginning of, of the chapter of the book, sorry, we see that King Ahab meets Elijah face to face, and the king sees Elijah in this very distinctive look. He's wearing a mantle, a hairy mantle of a beast that has been slain. By the way, that mantle that Elijah wears, the symbolism has travelled down through the ages, and the stoles that priests wear are reminiscent of the of the of the stole that Elijah was wearing as well. This mantle is supposed to remind us of calling pastors to a better treatment of the poor and to lead people away from the idols of the age, like Elijah was challenged with doing. And in that moment, Ahab looks at Elijah in 1 Kings 18 and says, "I know who you are. You are the troublemaker of Israel." And at that moment, I feel like we get this almost cinematic Lord of the Rings-esque moment, this this Tolkien-esque moment, if you will, where Elijah's thinking, no, you false king, you are the troublemaker of Israel, and I am the troublemaker of you. Because Elijah does not sit back. Elijah makes me think, so much of, of those, those champions of civil rights movements all throughout history. Those people who have stood up for what is right and are dismissed as troublemakers. But for all those that made a difference, this is a good kind of trouble to get into. It's a trouble that makes a difference. It's a trouble that upsets the status quo when you stand against evil and you face it head on. 
Those people that have stood against the evils of of racism, slavery, sexism, poverty, tyranny, manipulation. We are called to a cause. Those people that are caused to be contentious. The, The Australian Prime Minister Bob Hawke called it good trouble. Disrupt the system and work for change. We're going to continue on, but let me, let me pray, shall we, before we delve in further. Lord God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word that remains true. Lord, we thank you for pieces of scripture that were written so many years ago that, that still hold so much value for us today. Lord, their truth is self-evident as the living word of God leads and guides us. Lord, I pray that we have open eyes, open ears and open hearts to hear and receive what you would say. But Lord, most importantly, that we would be inspired to have a closer relationship with you. God, as we seek out the truth of your word, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week in church, uh, Jeff spoke about this prophetic uh, cage match, if you will, between the prophets of Baal and, and Elijah. Elijah versus 450 prophets, and he takes them on. And uh, he says, whichever group can call down fire from God to light the barbecue, that will prove that their God is real. And the prophets of Baal go first. They dance, they pray them, cut themselves, but nothing happens. And Elijah taunts them, suggesting they yell louder because their God might be indisposed. And eventually they hang their heads in defeat. And then it's Elijah's turn. And so to make it a little bit more interesting, he submerges his bull in water, he prays, and then boom! Pillar of fire from heaven strikes and consumes the sacrifice. Then Elijah and the people round off the 450 prophets and another 400 false prophets with them, scriptures say, and they execute them all. You know, at this point in time, Elijah has encountered very serious opposition, but opposition that is not insurmountable. It is not an overpowering opposition. Now, however, in our story where we pick it up today in in 1 Kings 19, he meets the one person who is as committed to Baal as Elijah is committed to God. What Jezebel hears from Ahab, her husband, the king of Israel, is enough that she swears by the gods that Elijah will die. She detests Elijah. Elijah is disrupting her plans with her husband, the king. Elijah keeps calling people to reconcile and repent to God. And they are trying to turn them towards this prophet, uh, towards Baal. And at every step, Elijah stands in her way. And here's the thing. Jezebel has killed God's prophets before. And Elijah has no reason to doubt that her threats are very true as to her intentions to kill him. This woman has the fierceness that Ahab lacks, the civil authority the prophets of Baal lacked, and a freshness for battle that Elijah no longer possesses. She is as worthy an opponent as God's servant has ever faced in Scripture. Who or what can defeat her? If you've got your Bibles, 1 Kings 19, verses 3 to 8, is where we're going to start.
So we pick up our story. Elijah, fresh from battle, has run ahead of Ahab and he has confronted Jezebel and heard the threats. And so we pick it up in verse 3. It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Bathsheba in Judea, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush and sat under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Herob, the mountain of God. You know, for... For whatever reason, be it fatigue, be it lack of faith, a sense of resignation at the prophet never having peace, Elijah runs. He fears death. You know, one commentator, DeVries, suggests that Elijah interprets Jezebel's personal attack on him as an end to his ministry. The fact that he even dismisses his servant in the southernmost point of Judah and then goes on a day's journey further sort of indicates that maybe Elijah is getting to this point where he's like, you know what, I am done. I'm done. My servant, go. I am done. In fact, Elijah's flight in in, in 19 verses 1 to 3 changes the very face of the story. I mean, in three short verses, we see that the writer has totally changed the flow of the story. Victory seems to be transformed into, well, defeat. The brave prophet turned into a cowering refugee. The victory over death and Baal into an opportunity for death to reassert itself through Jezebel's oath to take Elijah's life. And when we look to the heart of, of, of what Elijah is going through, we look to the heart of this transformation in story, this, this, this peak moment to this, well, trough moment. We seem to be left with a question, how will the Lord God prove himself now? And this question, hey, this question is the fundamental question of, of what we're doing today. It's the fundamental question of where we find Elijah in this moment And I'll be honest, it's a fundamental question to where you and I often find ourselves in moments of hardship, in moments of distress, in moments when it feels like everything is going wrong, nothing is going right. In those moments where our marriage is hard work, in those moments where our work is just smashing us and feels pointless. In those moments, the trials we might to connect with our children, we just seem to always end up angry. In those moments of despair, this very valid question, how will the Lord prove to be God now? It holds hope and promise. After a day's journey into the desert, an exhausted Elijah says he wants to die. 
which ironically is the very opposite reason of why he ran in the first place. He ran because he wanted to live. And now he finds himself in a place where he just wants to die. And God begins to renew his faith by miraculously feeding him. In other words, the Lord ministers to him as he has in the past. And twice an angel feeds him, giving him strength to travel to Herob, the mountain of God. When I was uh, studying at college, one of the things that they liked to get us to do was to summarize big passages of Scripture as succinctly as we can. And I think my favorite uh, summary of this passage was, was by somebody else in college who summarized it as, Elijah was hangry, wanted to die, and God told him to eat a sandwich. I've got to be honest, it's not the worst advice out there. I'm a fan of a good sandwich. I get hangry as well. But in this moment, we see God start to rejuvenate and revitalize Elijah. He is at the point where he's asking God for death, which just quietly, the Bible tells us is a very dangerous proposition because sometimes God answers, yes. But here God chooses to renew him, giving him strength. See, in hiding, Elijah stoops his shoulders. He falls into this funk, and it's a funk that we've all been through as we realize that our efforts just don't seem to have a point. What's the use of trying? I have tried, and I have tried, and I am getting nowhere. One step forward, two steps back. And Elijah handles it by lying on the ground, hoping to die, and God sends him a sandwich. He wanders for 40 days, and God finds him hiding in a cave. I mean, where, where do you go to hide? I, I know where I go to hide. It's called an Xbox. But where do you go to hide? Is it, a, is it a, you know, a shed out the back? Do you go to hide in alcohol? Is it distracting activities where you put your head down and keep from thinking about stuff? Where do you go to hide? What is it you do to hide? I mean, we go through this stuff at a personal level. I've already shared our, our, our relationships are hard, be they with a spouse or work colleagues or children or parents. We go through it at a personal level. We also go through it at a, macro, like a, at a large level as well, at a global or a national level as well. I think many of us look at society, we understand what drew Elijah to that cave. This is a man tasked with turning a society back to the Lord and he just feels defeated. And I, I don't know about you, but occasionally I switch on the news and I get a bit depressed. I think many of us feel like Elijah when we see that the great victories of yesterday don't seem to permanently solve anything. In fact, they seem to require constant vigilance. Years ago, people fought and we thought that World War II against the Nazis and the fascists, that that victory was won. Yet even today, we see Nazi and fascist slogans in mainstream media today. In fact, only the last couple of months did we have to enact laws in our country to stop people from using Nazi slogans in public. We thought that we were further ahead with healing the racial divide and prejudice in this country, yet we see the politicising of what at its core is a social justice issue in the referendum, dividing a nation, dividing households, and sadly the only thing it's uniting a country in is pain and frustration on all sides. 
We thought that women's rights and equality were settled principles, yet daily we see those issues rearing their heads in the lives of our friends and family. In fact, it seems like everywhere we look, we see false prophets encouraging us to bow down to false gods of greed and division. The false gods of living for oneself and not caring about seeking the welfare of those around us as we have been charged to do by the Lord God himself who called us to love one another. Precipitation in all religions has been plummeting for decades and there seems to be a lack of a moral core at the centre of our country and the centre of our society. I get why Elijah went to that cave. I get why he wanted to hide. Everything in his being had gone towards this and he just felt defeated. The cave where Elijah is holding up is is on Mount Herob, the mountain where Moses heard the call of God to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. This is a place that has significance to the people of Israel. It's also the mountain, also called Mount Sinai, where God later gave Moses the commandments. And even though he's in a funk, Elijah's instincts draw him to holy ground. They draw him to a place where he knows God is at, where God has spoken to his people before, where God has inspired and brought the nation back together before. And he's drawn there. And I think maybe that's what we need to do sometimes as well. Maybe it's not necessarily a sacred place that we go to, but it's a place where we've heard God speak to us before. You know, when um, when when my my son was born, Michael, uh, he was born under less than ideal circumstances, is the way that I like to remember it. It stops me from getting angsty. But we happened to be on holidays down in Brisbane, thankfully. And Michael decided to come a lot earlier than planned with a lot more complications than we would have liked. And, you know, we just happened to be at the hospital where they were training the brand new emergency NICU ward for the new hospital at Mermaid Waters. We just accidentally happened to be at the small hospital where the two lead paediatric surgeons in Australia happened to be giving lectures that day. We just happened to be right around the corner from a place where the best surgical team for children happened to be. And uh, he was born and it was a crazy whirlwind of events. And I I remember after everything had happened and my, my son is in a humidity crib on a bunch of machines looking like something from the Matrix. My wife is still, I'm unable to see her yet. And the doctor had lovingly and very nicely told me that there was a 60-40 chance that my son will survive and a 70-30 chance that my wife will survive. And as I walked up through the hospital, I kept thinking to myself, I just need a moment to pray. At this stage, I'd been a pastor for, uh, for eight years. I had my own church and I thought, I can do this, I can pray. And you know what? I couldn't. I kept stopping and waiting and nothing came. My head was full, my heart was breaking. And as I walked through the hospital at 2am in the morning, I found myself passing the chapel. And I thought, you know what? At least it'll be quiet. 
And so I opened the door to the chapel and I went into this very Catholic chapel. And I wandered around and I thought, you know what, I just walked around waiting for some inspiration. And uh, to give you some context, I have some great friends. Um, I'm a very progressive Christian. I'm friends with Anglicans. And I, I love them. <laughs> but one of my favorite pastimes was speaking to my Anglican brethren and reminding them that they need a book to pray to God, whereas I like to just do it freeform. But in that moment, as I walked behind the altar in the chapel and I opened some cupboards which I had no business opening, I found a prayer book. And in that moment, I opened a prayer book and I, I found myself in a place reading these beautiful words that were written by amazing people as they pour their heart out to God. And in this place, I found the ability to pray. In this place, I found the ability to reconnect with God. Not that God had ever left me, but in my turmoil, in my strife, and in my pain, I could not find where to face God. Yet he was there with me. And in this, this very Catholic chapel, in a hospital, a long way away from home, I found the strength to reconnect with God. And when I read about Elijah going to Mount Herod, I connect with what he did. And for you, maybe it's coming to a place at a church. Maybe it's coming to a place, a location where God has spoken to you. Maybe it's simply coming to a place and sitting with a friend and going, I can't pray right now. I am so distraught. I am so wrecked and I feel so far from God. Can you be the words that I can't speak? And now we see the Lord rebuild Elijah, restoring his hope in the future. See, God finds him in that cave and God asks this question, what are you doing there? In verse 10, Elijah replies to the Lord and he says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. And God says to him, wait, just hold on for two seconds. I'm about to pass by. And then comes a supernatural sequence of events. In verse 11, it says, uh, the Lord says to Elijah, go outside and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood in the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? You know, in this, in this situation, Elijah is told to stand on the mountain near the mouth of a cave and wait for God to arrive. And first there is a tornado cyclonic force that tears the mountain and shatters rocks. Then there's an earthquake. Finally, there is a fire. But Elijah didn't meet God in any of those amazing and traumatic and phenomenal events. I 
I think we, Elijah may have gone to Mount Herod because he wanted and he hoped to experience God in a very dramatic way like Moses had. See, when Moses was on Mount Herod, there was fire, there was smoke, and there was earthquakes. But, but not this time. This isn't where God chose to meet him. And after all of that, we're told, and I, I do like the King James translation of this, a small, still voice, it says that causes Elijah to come out of the cave. I don't know what was whispered, but whatever it was, Elijah knew that this was the voice of the Lord. There's a point here that is really important. There's a point here that is so important. God wanted Elijah to realize that faithfulness is not about dramatic events. So much as it is in the everyday sensitivity to the whisper of the Spirit of God. The dramatic was the, expectation, was the exception rather than the rule. God's normal course is to work quietly in the human heart. And I wonder, I wonder if the reason that I, we, don't always hear from God is because there is too much noise in our lives. Sometimes in life we have to be still and know that he is God. Sometimes when we are discouraged... We need to stop looking for the superficial and focus on the substantive. There are times when we need to get alone with God and hear the gentle assurance of his grace. At the mouth of the cave, Elijah experiences the power of God. and We begin to see the key of getting out of this frustration and depression that he is in. My, uh, my, my granddad, I love my granddad, and... Uh, my granddad loves to talk uh, about how often instead of telling God how big your problems are, we need to tell our problems how big our God is. I know, and here's the thing, I know that can sound trite. And I know it sounds like a very pastory thing to say. And I know it feels like it's just found on the back of someone's station wagon as they're driving. It's Instagram wisdom. And it can be hard to hear that sort of stuff when you're going through things, but just, just take a moment to put yourself in the presence of God, feel the power, and look at what the power of God is around us. The images that we see through the James Webb telescope that start to open up a small glimpse of the majesty and the glory of God's creation that is so much bigger than us. Tens of millions of stars and planets, trillions of them, galaxies so far out. Take a moment to allow music and art to reach deep inside of you. Look for those helpers, the, the people that God works through, who put themselves out there instead of giving up. Maybe you're like Elijah, like me at times, waiting for God to act in some dramatic fashion. When the reality is, God is maybe just waiting for us to change our perspective. When God is waiting for us to just stop and change our focus, to change our perspective. Experience and connect with the power of God that is around you and the Holy Spirit he has placed within you. So here are a few things as we wrap up that we take from this story today. Firstly, I think discouragement comes to all people on occasions. No one is immune to it. 
Now, there is an Alistair Begg quote that loses something in its gendered language, but to paraphrase him, it is this, even the best of humans are only human at best. If we get discouraged, it doesn't mean you are deficient. It means you are human. It happens. It's a part of our nature. Second, in times of discouragement, we have to battle our natural tendencies and withdrawing from people altogether. Well, it's a good thing to be alone with God, but it's not a good thing to isolate yourself. Because when we only isolate ourselves and when we withdraw from everything and everyone, it only feeds that self-indulgent, depressive desire. As we only have the ability to look inward. We engage, my friends, in what my wife likes to call stinking thinking. She is a primary school teacher. Fair enough. We only look at the negative rather than seeing things clearly. We only see what we can't do rather than what we can do. We, what we don't know rather than what we do know. What hasn't happened rather than what has happened. Who didn't respond rather than who did respond. Not eating or sleeping well doesn't help either. If you're depressed, go get a sandwich. God said so. Jeff's not here. I can say these things. Don't quote me. If you aren't eating and sleeping well, you need to take some time to rest and renew. Take control of your body. I know that that seems hypocritical. But diet and rest are so important. Being impatient is something that we do constantly. Here's the thing. Remember this. Elijah didn't get refocused on stuff for 40 to 45 days later. Stuff goes bad for Elijah. Elijah runs away. But Elijah doesn't start to refocus on what needs to happen for a full 40 to 45 days later. How often are we prepared to give it a month before we make decisions? We need to give ourselves time. It's tempting to give up and walk away from the things that discourage us. You might be tempted to walk away from your job, from your marriage, your education, your team, your church, your friends, or even your faith potentially. But rather than give up, just take a minute. Rather than quitting, seek to refocus and renew in the Lord so that you can dig in. I find it best not to make life-changing decisions on the fly. My wife can attest to the fact that I've learned that the hard way. (laughs) Take the time to refocus. You know, if we'd uh, had the chance to talk to Elijah after he returned from Herob and asked him about his experience, I suspect he would tell us that all of this happened because he took his eyes off the Lord. Because he got tired and his focus became on woe is me and not in how good is my God. He focused on the mountain rather than the mountain mover. And that happens. We have to remember that in this ever-changing world, there is one constant, and that constant is the Lord. He is always present. He is unwavering in his love, and he always has a plan and knows the way home. You and I will get discouraged in life. In fact, as the team comes, we're going to sing a song in a moment. That song is so poignant to who we are and where we are as a people sometimes. But circumstances will sometimes overwhelm us and I hope that what we've learned today is in those times we don't need to run away, we don't need to despair, even though these things happen. 
We don't need to run or despair. What we need to do is rest, refocus, and listen to the assuring whispers of his grace. Because our God is our foundation. He is our cornerstone. He is ever-present in our times of need and distress. It is okay to feel bad. It is okay to feel discouraged. It is okay to feel overwhelmed. But in those times, we need to press into God, to listen to the still, soft whisper that says, what are you doing? I am here and I am enough. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are enough. God, we thank you that you are our God. And God, we thank you that even in our Bible heroes, people of the faith that that the Bible says are recorded in the roles of the heroes, we see their humanity, we see their frailty, we see their indecision. God, we see in them reflected ourselves in our moments of weakness. But God, we thank you that you are always there, that you are our rock, you are our foundation. You are the very cornerstone in which we build our lives. And in you we find hope, in you we find promise, and in you we find rest. God, we thank you, we worship you. In Jesus' amazing name, amen.